On episode two of the Unrivaled podcast, we dive into the highs and lows of coaching through the eyes of Jared Parker. I think sometimes your fan base, the people that support you, or sometimes boo you, don't realize what you go through to get through and how proud we are to, to now be at a place like this that's so supportive. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. What's going on, Penn State fans? Welcome into episode two of the Unrivaled podcast as we usher in our first coaching guest of the program and one of the newest members here in town, Coach Parker. How are you doing today? I am great. Very happy to be here. First off, Coach, thanks for joining us, but uh, we have to take a second to thank everybody for the outpouring support of Episode 1 with Pat Frymuth and the numerous comments, tweets, Facebook messages, everything like that that we received about this new form of content. I'm glad that everybody is enjoying this, and uh, let me just say this. Thank you, one. And two, we're not stopping here. We're just getting started on this thing. All right, Coach, let's jump into Episode 2 as we venture through your coaching career, how you landed at Penn State, and uh, plenty more. You good with that? All good. All right, so you grew up in the state of Kentucky, correct? Correct. Tell me about that. Well, um, a great. everybody's biased, I think, to where they grow up from. Um, but, it, you know, very proud to be where I'm from. You know, we is a very small town, rural area that uh, didn't have much to do besides play sports and and fool around and play around and have fun and, and be young kids. You didn't have to worry about locking your doors. At one point when I was growing up, um, my house, our house, was about the place to come. My mom and dad put a basketball court in the back, and um, from the time we were about eight years old till till about 14, 15, 16, we started getting a car. That was the place to come. So uh, we had a lot of fun growing up and a very close uh, community that, just supported us. We had a lot of guys that came out of there. You know, we had a lot of good football coaches, people that shaped me not only in every sport, but uh, to be who I am and a lot of guys that way. So a town of about 2,000 people that spit out a lot of guys that the game of whatever it was has been really good to their careers and their lives and shaped us all. So very proud. It was a cool place to grow up, and uh, it's been neat to be able to take that experience and move all over the place and open up not only my eyes, but my wife's our kids we now know and have seen and been around so many different things that open up your eyes to different worlds so you can see the world um through a different lens you know that's one of the biggest challenges of college football is to be able to look at it through different lens and um, be around and impact or be impacted by a lot of different people that grew up different from us tell me about your family wife kids and all that Yep. Um, you know, first off, I got a brother and sister that are still back home in Kentucky in different parts, and mom and dad are still alive and well and just came up and helped us with a move. And um, But wife Candy, um, who's obviously uh, kind of runs this deal, um, She's uh, we've had four kids, and she's phenomenal. Uh, she was a great player in her own right through college, and we dated through then. And then we had Colby, so we've had Colby Greer, which is seven, and Gwyneth Lolo now, who is going to be five. Rosalind June, who's going to be three, and then uh, we finally had a boy, Oliver Griffin Parker, which the uh, initials are on purpose. His initials are the OGP. So no shortage of running around your house. No, not at all. <laughs> so take me back to when you, how you met your wife. Well, we um pretty interesting. So throughout high school, she was a major college. You know, she ended up being a major college basketball player and was a great player in high school. And so we used to go to banquets and different things and would meet. And everybody knew who Candy Brown was. I mean, she was gorgeous. She was a great player. And um, back then, with no cell phones and social media, you didn't. it wasn't as transient. You know, it was really kind of frowned upon to date somebody else from a different town, as crazy as that sounds. 
So I kind of stayed away. We just kind of hung out and knew each other and um, developed a decent friendship. And her dad was a major um, player in all this because he was the women's basketball coach at her high school. Won over 500 games, ended up being inducted in the Hall of Fame in the state of Kentucky, which she now is in too. So pretty cool little father-daughter deal. So I shook his hand once and uh, had made the joke in the locker room in high school that I was going to marry his daughter, and then our current coach made me say that to him. So that was my introduction to her dad, um, and it ended up coming true, which it was it was just a little bit of locker room talk. So we met then, went out on a date and watched Big Mama's House, the first <laughs> one. Yeah, the classic <laughs> one, and somehow stayed together ever since. Best commit you've ever picked up? No question. No question. <laughs> So what do you guys do for fun as a family when you get to spend some time with them at home? I know obviously the season's the season, but when you get some time as your family, what do you guys like to do? You know what? We're both pretty big fans of traveling, Hmm. um, which traveling gets harder uh, with all the kids. But, you know, if we get like vacation time is is a time for us to get and go see the beach and and try to do something like that and travel. Um, Otherwise, a lot of it's stay at home and run around and just be dad, you know, um, we have a lot of fun running around. They're pretty active and are becoming active. So it's it kind of gets your activities get shortened because it's so many movable parts. Um, but I, I'm excited to see where it all goes as they grow to see what we'll go and do. But we like to get up and go. Tell me about this golf event that uh, obviously you guys put on. And it's special to you and your family. Yeah, it is. I, I mentioned to you earlier. So Candy's dad, two years after they win the state championship together in the state of Kentucky, which is pretty unique because there's only one classification um, in the state of Kentucky still. So they do that. Um, He's impacted that community in Olive Hill, Kentucky, and another small town close by. And the things he's done and did, not only for his family, but the community was was kind of unheard of. So he tragically gets brain cancer and dies. Um, He passed... Um, two years after they had won it in 2000. So long story short, we really wanted to do something as me and Candy were still, we had just gotten freshly married by the time we made a decision to try to do something to raise money for cancer and to fight cancer. So I opened up my mouth and and that project kind of fell on me. So this is our 12th year of it. Um, We do it every year, the second Saturday of July every year back home in Moorhead, Kentucky, where she's closely from, and that community supported it well. So it started on a nine-hole course, 12 teams, and now 12 years later we're looking at about 58 teams. Uh, Two different uh, flights will take off on Saturday, July 13th, and we've raised about $180,000 to fight cancer and and, uh, do our part. And it's something that um, I've really taken uh, a strong push towards. And the coolest thing about it is not only the family has as well and the support we get, but everywhere I've coached, I think every, somebody from wherever ever I've been has showed up and been a part of the scramble. And so it's turned into a little bit of a mini friends slash coaching convention and just people coming together. It's a good built-in excuse for guys to go play golf because it gets harder and harder with kids. So their wives uh, can't really fight when you say, hey, I'm going to go play a golf scramble for, <laughs> for, for cancer to fight cancer. So... It's worked out really good. Um, it's something that um, I'm very, very proud of. What does that event mean to you personally, just based off what you told me about meeting your wife and everything in the, the locker room, what you were telling the guys back in that day, and kind of what it's built up to now? Yeah, it's hard not to get emotional about it, um, even as old as I now am, and, and what it's done because you know she has a younger brother 
whom was nine years old when when they lost their dad and I was there. It was kind of the um, guy that that picked up the pieces for him and me and him. You know, I was his best man at his wedding a year ago. And uh, for a guy that's so much younger than me to have picked me to be that kind of makes it all come full circle. And um, we all can do better. Uh, I clearly can do better in everything you do and how you serve. But as I get older, I realize how important it is for us to serve everybody around us, try to make people better, try to make an impact and do that. And I, and I, and I hope I'm doing a better job of that. I think that's a key piece to all of us. And so it's really hit home for me. It's something that I'm pretty passionate about. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about how you fell in love with the game of football after this break. You good with that? Great. All right, back with more from Coach Parker after this. Taking a shot on first down to the end zone. Touchdown, K.J. Hamlin. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. What's up, Penn State fans? It's Mitch Gerber, host of the Unrivaled podcast, reminding you to secure your seats inside Beaver Stadium today. To do so, visit gopsusports.com slash tickets. Back with Coach Parker on the Unrivaled Podcast, the official podcast of Penn State football. Coach, obviously everybody in this industry falls in love with the game at some point, but take me back to the day that you started to play the game of football. Yeah, an, an interesting story for me, kind of a different path. Um, I did not really play all the way up to my freshman year of high school. Wow. So you grow up in Kentucky and you think you're going to play basketball at the University of Kentucky and life will go on. And I found out I was pretty common on the basketball court, just just a solid player. And as I worked at that game, our starting quarterback at the time named Jason Michael, who, oddly enough, again, our small town, Jason Michael's the tight ends coach for the Indianapolis Colts. So J. Mike had a pretty good career in his own right that he's doing very well, and he'll uh, you'll hear his name as he goes on. So I, I look at Jay and I say, hey, you play basketball, I'll play football. We kind of cut a deal. So I go out for the football team and play. We finish the year. We lose to Fort Thomas Highlands in the playoffs. He breaks his ankle, so he can't play basketball. So I'm stuck in the deal. So the next year he made good on it, and uh, I stayed and played football my sophomore year, and we really had a big year. And then he played basketball and finished out his senior year. So I I really kind of got caught in a deal to get started with football, and it it did. It came pretty easy to me in that that time, and – as you have a little bit of success and realize that it's probably a little easier path, I just started to go on with it and kind of accumulated some good numbers and really enjoyed it. And that led to getting a chance to play college football at the University of Kentucky. How Mummy was the head coach and took a chance on a, I guess, an old country boy from Eastern Kentucky and um, fell into a, a, a very lackluster career full of injuries and tough. But it also led me to coach in this game, and I, and I firmly believe I'm doing what I was called to do. 238 catches, over 4,000 yards in high school, 52 touchdowns at Lawrence County High School. When did you know that this was a realization that you can take this game to the next level and obviously help yourself out for the future? Yeah, I I think it hit me probably when I got into my junior year um, and and that, that transition into like junior, senior, I started to realize that I was decent. And then I didn't. I don't know if I ever really knew for sure where I could play or what I could do. But when we played, my last my last game was against Highlands again, and they were really good during that era. That was the Jared Lorenzen, the old some names that you would hear, and Gino Gadulli, who's now coaching college football at Cincinnati, and, and was a great player. And I played really, I played really well that last game, and played at a high level against some other guys. And I thought, you know what, I could probably do this in some regard. 
And I still say very publicly, I had no business playing and, and being a part of being a receiver in the SEC. I wasn't gifted enough, but I think I was just savvy enough and, and educated enough on our offense and those things to become a guy that could be a good leader and, and be a guy that could help out guys around him and play. But I think by the end of my high school career, it started to hit that I had a chance. What was your recruiting process like then? Um, very slow because I did. I, I didn't go to camps. I didn't know anybody. I really did a lot of basketball. AAU, we had a traveling circuit through the state of Kentucky, and Eddie Ford, of that name, Travis Ford's dad, these are old names that I would know, but maybe people up this way wouldn't. But I did so much of that, I didn't invest that much. So it was a really slow deal. And then as the numbers started to accumulate, Marshall started to get involved, and that was really close by me. And then the state school you know university of kentucky gets involved because of the numbers and then our run late into the playoffs so it was a really slow deal um and then of course then it was okay to be and then by january of that signing period i went on a late visit they offered me and uh i'll never forget it we we walked out met in a room for about 10 minutes and said we probably should do this so we we pretty much committed late and did it what was that moment like when you received that offer um you know what it was it was pretty neat um, at the time, just to have your mom, because we really didn't know what to expect, what was going to happen. It was so late, and and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was still kind of up in the air on whether I wanted to go play college basketball at a low level school or go play, you know, football. And we didn't really know what the visit was going to entail. Is this going to be a offer type situation? Is it going to be something where they're going to wait? And so it was a pretty cool moment with mom and dad. It was just me, and my mom and dad, and and to have that there was kind of an emotional deal. So you go on to play at the University of Kentucky. Uh, after that, what came from there? And obviously that led to the coaching world. So here's how it went. You get through the, the best part that ever happened to me, as much as it was hard, we went through three head coaches at Kentucky. So by the end of it, I knew I wanted to coach, didn't know what, what capacity. And by the time I developed such a good relationship with Coach Brooks and his staff, it was time for me to think about what to do. So they actually called me after our season and said, hey, do you want to be a graduate assistant on defense? And I was kind of spooked by that because I knew I wanted to do something on offense and me and Candy were getting married that summer. So I was worried about money. So I actually took a defensive graduate assistant job and, and thought, heck, we'll do it and finish my master's and see what happens. And that so that was kind of the, the part where I was like, I kind of fell into it again. And then that transitioned into us getting worried about it, and I, I left and took the high school job that got my career started coaching high school football. Back with more of Coach Parker's coaching career and what led him to Penn State after this. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. Fans, just a reminder that Penn State will take the field for the first time on August 31st at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time inside Beaver Stadium. If you're unable to make it to the game, be sure to check out the action on the Big Ten Network or the Penn State Sports Network. We'll see you inside Beaver Stadium against Idaho on August 31st. Riceland High School, you start as a wide receivers, defensive backs coach. That was kind of your first get-go in the coaching world. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome. I had no clue what I was doing and thought I did. <laughs> um, what's not on that resume is I was the head sixth grade uh, basketball coach as well. Um, which was an experience. Oh, yeah. I think I had 10 technical fouls from the sideline to start <laughs> my coaching career in sixth grade basketball. We had about eight players. I gutted those kids and they responded. It was so fun. Um, so I got to coach the game that I'd kind of come back, you know, that I loved. And then, um, you know, Coach Vanderhoof was my first, first head coach at, at Raceland. 
and uh, those guys are awesome. I still talk to a lot of those guys that are still on the staff there. Um, they let me do too much and got a chance to coach DBs and wideouts and learn my way. It was a neat deal and a great football community. It was back towards home. They took care of me and Candy so well. Um, so that that was a neat start. 2007, you jumped back to Kentucky as a graduate assistant. What was it like going back home, quote-unquote? Yeah, it, it was pretty neat. It, it runs me into – I'll go back in GA for Joker Phillips, who was the offense coordinator at the time, and then Randy Sanders, the quarterback's coach, and Coach Brooks is still the head coach. And then Randy Sanders becomes one of my biggest mentors in this profession, who's now the head coach of East Tennessee State. And um, what a great staff. We had a great group of guys and won a lot of games and had a heck of a year that year. Um, so it was neat to go back home, get and stay on offense and those things. And I work with offensive line, so I had a chance to be around a position that I knew nothing about. It was great for my career and growth to learn what, what it means to play up front. I think it's always super interesting for people that don't know the coaching world super well with the whole graduate assistant position. And those guys aren't making a ton of money. And you kind of alluded to that earlier. Obviously, you're kind of going day by day and you and your wife were a thing at that point. And how difficult was that knowing that you're not raking in, obviously, hundreds of thousands of dollars or even thousands of dollars at that point? But what was it like back then being a graduate assistant? Yeah, nobody you – don't, you don't hear enough about it. And, I, and of course, I'm, I'm no different than all of us, you know, in the profession. But, you know, me and my wife leave a good, good stable situation of high, two high school jobs, and we move back into the apartment complex that I lived in when I was playing, <laughs> you know, after – so we saved up money, took a big plunge. I cannot tell you the pay cut that I took to go back – and Candy didn't even waver. We just went back, did it. She worked, found a job, and uh, was teaching as well and um, essentially supported us. And then you're putting in double the hours, you know, to, to get through it. And at that time, you only had two GAs. You didn't have quality control, nothing, you know, so you got to do it all. And um, you wear a bunch of hats and figure it out. And then I got very fortunate after that first year. Randy helped me get a job at UT Martin, which was my first college job. What was UT Martin like for you? Um, unreal again to, to go out there. Uh, we were there three years, you know, we didn't know anybody. We went out there on a, on a whim, essentially, uh, met a couple guys through coach Sanders and I took a running backs job. I had no clue what, how to coach running backs. So what do you do? You know, you're some of your best moments are when you're thrown into something, you don't know what's going on. So again, I coached running backs for a year and got around a good staff. Jason Simpson's still the head coach there. He's done a great job out there in the OVC and, we had a chance to win some games in 08. And then I moved to, in 9 and 10, I moved to wide outs and did some stuff with the quarterbacks and all those things throughout there. Coach Simpson let me do way too much, um, let me learn how and cut my teeth and make mistakes. But I got to coach a bunch of football that has prepared me and set a good base for how to work that led to Marshall, you know. And then obviously they just keep on piggybacking. What would you say motivates you? I think it's fair to say that so far through this podcast, I get the sense that. You enjoy being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Is that true? Very true. Yeah, I think uh, probably defines who I am. Um, and, and you hate to talk about yourself too much, but I guess that's part of the podcast, huh? But, yeah, I mean, I think growing up where where we grew up uh, with a dad doing what he did, with a mom that fought to do what she did for a living and to not only raise me but our, you know my brother and sister and how they did it, um, how they grit their teeth for us. It's kind of shaped me into who I was, taught me how to work, has put a chip on my shoulder um, to climb the profession and climb this life in my own way, in a way that I think is, is a great way to grow it. I've had to do it and do it from the bottom all the way up. 
Um, and, and I am proud of that. I think a lot of people would be. And I like that I had to grow through the profession the right way and earn it, so to speak. Um, one of the proudest things we have is our name. And, and of course, my last name, I'm proud of it because nobody knows my dad. You know, I know my dad, but nobody knows who my father is. Nobody knows who my mother is. And uh, we've gotten here, and I'm, I'm coaching wide receivers at Penn State. We've done all right. And uh, there are so many people that help you get there. It just makes you damn proud to look back and reflect, you know. And I think sometimes your fan base, the people that support you, or sometimes boo you, don't realize what you go through to get through and how proud we are to, to now be at a place like this that's so supportive. Who's your biggest role model? Mm, that's a good question. Um, man, that's tough. Out of respect for everyone, you know, you, you always you always be careful about how you choose that one. Um, Sounds like your parents have a pretty influential yeah, part on your life. I would imagine um, that there's no way I couldn't say them. You know, I just I just think of what they stand for, um, good, bad, or indifferent, no matter what's happened in, in all of our all the siblings' lives. But they're the foundation. They're always here. Um, they came when times were tough two or three years ago, um, and they come now. You know, that's what is that? That's a good mark. Some I guess maybe one of the finest things we can say about people is if somebody's there, present, always shows up. You know, and uh, that's what my parents have been. Your parents have clearly played such an influential part in your life. And two or three years ago, I think it's probably fair to say that it was uh, one of the most difficult points in your life, one of the low points, but you can learn something from it. Why was it so difficult? Well, um, it's been a very, very open and public thing to go through um, what I had to go through as a family um, and, and what we went through in our transition from Purdue to getting to Duke through Cincinnati. And um, I think that any time, you know, for my life, um, I always worked so hard and did everything the right way and was a guy that was a straight-A student, did things the right way, was respectful and all those things. Didn't have to go through much adversity besides injuries. And when you make a mistake like I made, it forces you obviously to have to stare down a different lens and a different challenge that my wife and parents and everybody we stood side-by-side side on. And it, what it's allowed me to do is is live out the things that you teach to your players. Um, and then as you're trying to instill in your kids that when things may not go the way you want to or things um, you're faced with something how I was faced with and you get knocked down, are you going to run and hide or are you going to stand up, uh, stare right down the barrel, be who you are so people know who you are? That way they're able to to really rally behind you, and that's what happened for me. So as much as it's something that's not a great topic, it's something that I learned from and I've been allowed to hopefully push on to people around me, whether they're friends or not, to continue to learn from and be aware of. And it's something I'm sure glad we're through and past. And it's it's allowed me another time and another way to stand in front of our players and, and stand in front of other people and say, hey, this is how we handle tough moments. You know, and, and I'm, I am. I'm very proud of that. And uh, sure, glad to be on the other side of it. When you get the call from Penn State to uh, come be a coach here, and obviously you're in this position for a reason, you're at a high level Division One Power Five conference, wearing that logo that's on your chest. Uh, the people can't see it, but he's wearing that Penn State logo. What was that moment like when you received that call? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so funny that when you think of these moments, you think you're going to be so overwhelmed at times, um, even from things that happened throughout your career in the interim head coaching thing at Purdue. And I think that. To be confident but not arrogant, 
to, to be prepared to know what you're on this earth to do. Um, those don't become moments where I've ever said, I, I've, I've told people all the time, I love the voice. And I hate when contestants get on there and say, well, I don't, I can't believe I made it this far. You know, that, that kills me. You know, what are we doing? And so to be real honest with you, I am overwhelmingly humbled that I'm here, but I'm certainly, I, I certainly expect to be, you know, I expect to be in this moment with the rest of this staff, with these players in a, in a job like this and a fan base like this to be highly successful to help be a part of helping it become even more successful than it already has and to, to see where that road takes us. I fully expect that out of myself, and, and I think family does too. So humbled, and, and, and it was a cool moment to get a call and be able to have that real conversation to realize, hey, we're going to Penn State. Um, and the outpour afterwards and the support just made you realize very quickly, hey, this is different. Back with more from the Kentucky Native after this break. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. It's a guy that comes in and has a presence and then has command of the room. And then a guy that obviously has the detailed and specific understanding of the fundamentals and the techniques that are going to allow our guys to be successful at the very highest level. Uh, on top of that, you're talking about a guy that's going to be able to build confidence. You know, the fact that he played the position, I think, helps. It's not... It's not mandatory, but I do think it helps. It really does. Um, so I, I think all those things, understanding scheme, you know, understanding scheme and, and, how, and how your position fits into that scheme. That was head coach James Franklin addressing the hiring of Coach Parker earlier in 2019. For the full press conference, be sure to check out gopsusports.com. Back with Coach Parker, the newest coach here at Penn State University, wide receivers coach in his first season after a two-year stint at Duke University. And Coach, you've had a couple of months now to kind of get acclimated to what State College presents and your wide receiver group. What is unique about that position room? Well, you know, I, I really love the room is in, you know, they've got great men in it, you know, and I, I think anytime you start with great people, you got a real shot you know, in my opinion. And so the room's got great men in it and they're young. Everybody knows that. I think the whole fan base knows that. Um, nor also appreciate the fact that nobody cares how young they are. We've got to make plays. So, um, I talked to my dad about this through, through many conversations and even my wife and just the whole point of all this is, is my job is more mental than it is anything right now with where it is. Um, so, with that being said, I think the, the biggest impact I'll make or hopefully make will be just to make sure the room continues to get wired right mentally. Um, they've got a very eager room. Um, they want to be great, and uh, we're developing strong relationships, which is cool always to kind of learn a new room and, and build relationships with them. So I'm, I'm completely encouraged by being a part of the room and the guys that are in it. It's going to be cool to continue to add to it with some guys that are coming in this summer. And so I'm looking forward to it and I've really been encouraged from essentially the real start of the relationship, which is when spring ball started, you know, because you start to really learn who they are after you get out on the field and we start to build things that way. Well, you start to build things and I think it's probably pretty fair to say that it starts with trust. Um, trust in the ability to not only learn in that position room, but also grow as a unit. Coach, I want to play a couple of mic'd up segments from week one of camp and let these fans Kind of hear what it's like to be coached by you, whether you're Jahan Dotson, Justin Shorter, KJ Hamler, or really anybody in your position room. Let's hear what you uh, have to say when you're out there coaching. 
This should be an art. This should be an art. Hey, guys, when you shoot, don't run with your hands out. Run and shoot your hands at the last second like a lizard's tongue and high together. You with me? You good with all the answers you need in the boundary to win? Hey, have a hell of a day. Set go. This is ball security. Make it miss. Good. We got a job to do. The reason you got better from one to two is because there was a demeanor, right, about doing so. So make sure two to three is the same thing. What a job do you got one-on-ones today. We need to win the drill, win explosive, and move forward. So I hope we're clear. There's a bunch of personalities in that room. I don't think that's a secret. You kind of alluded to it a little bit, but one guy that sticks out to this fan base, KJ Hamler, number one. What was it like the first time you met him? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny. As you do this profession, you can't help but make – you're kind of just making these comparisons of, yep, I've kind of met one just like him. <laughs> and so you can't help but – I mean, his personality, I mean, everybody, It's there's a reason. You know, number one, he's tremendously gifted. Number two, he's got this great personality with a smile, very talkative and outgoing and all these things that make him an attractive person, you know. So he, he takes that to the field with him. He takes it off the field with him. He takes it to interviews. And I joke with him, he's slowly becoming a little bit of a diva. Um, but he, he does. He has one of those contagious personalities, which comes with, you know, responsibility. I mean, we've talked a lot about that, I think, as he becomes more mature with that he becomes the leader of our room and allows us to get where we want to go. And um, he's been fun to build a relationship with. What makes Penn State different? Um, another good question. I, I think that Penn State is different in, in this regard. I, I do. I think that the fans are the finest fans in all the land. Um, they're, they're very supportive. Um, of course they care, good or bad. Um, but the involvement of the fans is probably crucial. I think that James Franklin is special, and that's not an assistant coach trying to plug the head coach. That's just – I think the way he communicates, the way he cares for his players and his staff and their families genuinely and shows that through action and, and is always finding different paths to improve it and all those things, that's maybe some of the things that people don't see outside of it. So anytime you start talking about a special place, you better have great leadership and what – he brings to the table day in and day out um, to our staff, and this program has kind of showed itself, but it's it's even more than what people think. And I think you go a step ahead to see the great leadership above and how they've invested in to facilities and what Sandy Barber and her staff's done. I, I just think that what we've done in here and how they market this program across social media and all the things that you see and deal with more than me, um, you, you can tell the difference. And, and you can tell a difference when you walk in the building. And for me, that's the things that you kind of, that are very tangible very quickly to see that this job, you know, is a top 10 job. It's not off the wall to say that this program competes to be one of those top 10 programs year in and year out around the college football landscape. But in your eyes, what makes 2019 a successful one for you, your position room, and this program? Good question and a hard one to answer, you know, because you never. You know, every, anybody who says numbers don't matter, they're lying. It means they don't have numbers, right? Um, the numbers matter. You know, wins and losses matter. Yards matter. Points matter. All those things. So not to avoid the question because I don't know what it looks like. You know, I don't know who will become by the end of August. I know that our leadership this summer is phenomenal um, from, from our offensive staff down through our players. Um, it's going to be a fun ride. You know, I think there, there's, no, there's also no secret we've got a good defense those guys do a great job on that side of the ball. 
we're learning who our young offense is going to be. If we progress the right way, if if us as coaches, especially in my room, if I remove some anxiety, you know, if I get these guys playing confident and we can push them the right way and we let this thing scale up and kind of keep growing as the year goes on throughout a non-conference schedule to a schedule, I think we're going to be very happy with where we're at. And I think we should be. I think there's a good football team in our locker room personally. I think that if, if it's handled properly on our side of the ball with, with my room, and I take that pressure-wise, but we've got a great room built in the tight end room and offensive line room. I know Jay Wan will have the running backs right, and we'll push through that and get them going. And so if we can tie these wideouts and quarterbacks together and, and get these guys on board and have that fan base get around them so we don't all lose our breath any time a ball may get dropped, which I think is crucial. You know, you could kind of feel it at different times and where we all just need to chill and realize these kids are going to make plays for us. I think we'll be in great shape and be pretty happy at the end of it. It all starts August 31st when Penn State takes on Idaho inside Beaver Stadium at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. And, Coach, best of luck this season, and I know I can speak on behalf of Nittany Nation. We're looking forward to seeing what you and your position group do in 2019, all right? Thanks very much. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football.